born, you, know, you don't want to say that. Maybe you don't want to say the age, right? Oh, you guys are going to know how old I am. Okay, okay you guys are going to know how old I am, but that's fine. <laughs> um, well, I was born 1972, okay? Your parents probably might not have even been married when I was born. Um, I was born also, um, my parents are Cuban, um, from Cuban descent, but how they ended up in Connecticut, I still don't understand the story. But they did, and then that's where I was born. So I was born in Hartford, Connecticut, April 1972. Um, my mom and my dad, they had their own business. Um, they were entrepreneurs. They, I grew up in, a, I guess you could call it a hardware store, and then afterwards it became a lumber yard. Um, so I was very much involved in hardware, um, building things, um, hammers, drills. I know how to work all those things. Anyway. When I was born, though, um, I was a normal baby, but then at nine months old, I got really sick. Um, apparently, I got like a really bad cold. It turned into like pneumonia and so forth. Anyway, the point was that they, I had to get surgery, and they told my parents that it was very dangerous, the surgery that they were going to do, and they didn't know if I was going to make it because I was that bad. Well, I came out of surgery because, hello, here I am. I'm alive. But they told my parents that, unfortunately, my vocal cords had been damaged. And I most, most assuredly, I probably wouldn't be able to talk. Now, my mom, I have an older brother, 13 years apart. And my mom, she always wanted a daughter. She wanted a second child. And she was never able to have one. And I was a surprise. Oh, let's back up a slide. <laughs> let's stay on the, on the first slide. Um, my mom always wanted a daughter. So when she finds out that she's pregnant with me, she didn't go to the doctor until she was four and a half months pregnant, believe it or not. She thought she was just getting fat. That's the truth. Anyway, so I was a surprise. Here I was. And anyway, so now, fast forward that I, she gives me birth, and then I'm nine months old, and they tell her, listen, okay, your daughter made it, but unfortunately, she's not going to be able to speak. Well, she told my dad, God promised me a daughter, and I believe that she's going to be healthy. So I believe that God's going to take care of this. Well, anyway, my mom and my grandmother, they started taking me to Christian churches. They weren't real Christians, like the way that I am now, the way that I'm following Christ. But she had faith. And the Bible says, when you have faith, you can move mountains. So they would take me to different churches, different Christian churches, and they would lay hands on me and pray. And nothing, no voice would come back. My dad then would get upset at her and say, listen, you need to start figuring out a plan because she's going to be mute and she's not going to know how to talk. And my mom was like, nope, I'm not going to put her into sign language. I'm not going to do it. Well, at three and a half, my mom went to go wake me up and in the morning. And when she wakes me up, all of a sudden she hears a sound coming out of my vocal cords. She flipped. She calls my dad. My dad comes to the room and he's like, what? Oh my gosh. Yes. So then they send me, they take me to the doctor and hello, I have a voice. And it was for the glory of God that I have a voice. So that was the first touch of God in my life. And I'm speaking and everything that I do, that everything that I have passion for, for the Lord involves teaching. It involves talking about who he is. It involves um, manifesting his glory through sharing other people's testimonies. It all has to do with me talking. So imagine if I couldn't talk and the devil wanted to steal that early on at nine months old. So praise the Lord. That's right. And God will do something so special in our lives. Even from the beginning, God has been in control of Maggie's life. And I've known Maggie for so many years. 
um, since we've been in youth group together. We're going to get later on in, the, in that, that part of the story. But just to see that God is faithful in, I didn't know this part of the story until we got to, to know each other's friends. And, and she started sharing her story with us. And to know that that happened at a young age, it's like, it just shows God's faithfulness even from the very beginning. Um, and so I thank God because you know that Maggie, when she opens her mouth, is an incredible blessing. And uh, there's always incredible words. There's always words of wisdom, those that really know her. Um, and so uh, I thank God for, for what that took place. So tell us, uh, take us a little bit uh, further. Tell us, uh, I know there's something that took place when you were around eight years old. Yeah. Um, so my parents, we are, I, like I said, always grew up in a hardware store. I mean, they would take me to school, hardware store. I would go Saturday morning, hardware store. But um, my dad was an, always a great provider, the truth. He really, really, truly was. He was always providing. Um, but unfortunately, my dad was very, very, very strict, um, extremely strict. And he liked things his way and don't ask questions. Now, that's correct. But unfortunately, my parents would have a lot of disagreements, a lot of arguments. Since he had a bit of an anger issue, um, they would argue a lot. And I remember when I was around eight years old that, um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of 700 Club on TV, Pat Robertson. Anyway, it was back in the day, there wasn't like Christian television that we have now. There was just one little Christian show on and that was it. Anyway, so he would come on and they would say, if you need prayer, call. And I remember one day that there was so much fighting going on in my house that I went, grabbed the phone, I went to the living room. I, back in the day, there weren't cordless phones. There's not portables or nothing. It was like, grab the phone and then you would like dial, right? So then, and I called and I asked for prayer. And I truly believed that on the other line, there was somebody there and she was paying attention to what I was saying. And when she asked, what do you want to pray for? And I'm like, that my parents don't get divorced and that they stop fighting. And she prayed with me. So that's like the first moment that I really realized, you know what, there's power in prayer. And I went and I acted on it. Um, a little bit while after that, I, when I was 10 years old, we decided to move from Connecticut here to Miami because um, most of our family was here in Miami. And we went ahead and we did that transition. In the midst of that transition, things got even more, more bad in my house. Um, they got really bad. A uh, lot of fighting, a lot of arguing, a lot of screaming. I remember going to sleep at night and just hearing the screaming and the screaming and the screaming and the screaming, and it was my dad's voice. My dad, you see how I have a voice that's like loud? Sometimes they tell me, Maggie, you gotta quiet it down. <laughs> you guys should have seen me and my husband trying to whisper, it was hilarious, because he has a strong voice too. Anyway, so my dad had a man voice, obviously, and super loud. Now, imagine when he's screaming and he's angry, that's what I used to go to sleep with. And that's tough, man. That's tough when you're like 10 years old, nine years old, going to sleep like that. And I would pray and I would say, God, please let it stop. Please let it stop. Well, unfortunately, they went ahead and they did split up. I went into, during, in, this, in this pic, you can see that it's just me, my mom, and my brother. Um, and we're here going from Connecticut to Miami. And they put me into a school. During this time also, you guys probably don't know what that is. The, Cuban Marielle lift. Uh, all the Cubans came from Cuba, a lot of them, 1982. No, nobody knows. Awesome. <laughs> and Mariel, yes. Well, hello, a lot of Cubans are coming from Cuba, right? But then here comes Maggie, right? Born in Connecticut, comes to Miami. So they stick me into a school that is 100% English speaking, 100%, which is not a big deal because hello, I'm from Connecticut, right? 
And the only problem was that there was racism, believe it or not. Since there was most English-speaking people, they uh, literally, they grabbed me, my name is Margarita, okay? Margarita. <laughs> and my last name is Aguirrechu. Yes. Have someone who is 100% English-speaking say that. Go ahead. Very difficult. So everybody immediately equated that I came from Cuba. And because of the racism, they really gave me a tough time. I was in fifth grade. Um, so I'm having problems at home. My parents are getting a divorce. They're getting split up. It's getting really bad. And here I am in fifth grade, and I have people making fun of me. Um, they're making fun of my name. They can't pronounce it. The teachers, this was a Christian school, guys, okay? Even the teachers can't pronounce my name, and they start making fun of my name. Um, they, weren't they weren't helping me. So what do I do? I literally just shut down, literally. I remember making a conscious decision. That's it. If I can't make friends, my teachers don't want to help me because they say that I'm just a little Cuban girl and I was born in Hartford, Connecticut. Hello. I remember telling one of my teachers, I was born in Hartford, Connecticut, one of the first 13 colonies. Hello. <laughs> you know? Anyway, it was that bad. And my mom, I couldn't give her the pressure. I couldn't, my dad could care less. So guess what happens? I stop going, doing homework. I stop participating in class. I stop talking. I wouldn't participate. I end up failing fifth grade. That was tough. Talk about feeling like a failure when you're 11 years old. Can anybody relate? It's tough, right? Um, so that was me. Yeah, and I'll tell you that it's it's something going. It, I'll tell you it's a it's almost a. Um, I'll tell you it's fruit of what's happening in the house and all those seeds at home, seeing what your parents are going through in your house, um, and having all those issues occur in your life. It, it really does cause a shutdown, especially to a ten year old. Um, I have I have my kids of my own, and they're around that age, and um, we want to do the opposite in our home, and so. I know Maggie wasn't fortunate enough to grow up that way. A lot of people grow up that way. Um, but obviously we know that there was a huge turnaround in her life. And so, um, Maggie, I know that there was uh, some, somebody in your life, and it was around that time, um, a teacher of yours. Tell us a little bit about that. So here I am, have to repeat fifth grade, right? But God has a plan. So I go into my fifth grade all over again, right? And my teacher, Mrs. Call, um, super sweet lady, um, we, because we're in a Christian school, in Christian schools you have to take Bible class. It's almost like a science. It's almost like a history class. It's, it's just another subject that you take. Um, she made it different. She really made it like that it was something that you could relate to. And I remember going home one day and telling my mom, Mom, we also, let me backtrack for a second. I was brought up as in a traditional religion. So you had to participate different things. You had to pray to different saints. You had to do different things. I had to go to confession and so forth. Um, and I always had an issue with that. So here's Mrs. Call in Bible class, and she's talking to me about praying. And I was like, okay. And she goes to me, you could pray to Jesus. And I go, wow, I, I can just pray straight to him. That's okay. She's like, of course, you can just pray to Jesus. And I'm like, hello, that's exactly what I've been trying to tell everybody. And nobody listens to me. So remember what I just told you when I was eight years old that I called and I was like, okay, let's pray like that. 
So she started talking to me about who Jesus was. And I remember saying, okay, that's who I want to pray to. And I went home and I told my mom, I go, mom, guess what? All we have to do is pray to Jesus. All we have to do is ask him and he hears us. He's up there in heaven. Mom, look, you see the sky? He's up there. I remember in the car doing that to my mom. During this time, my mom is going through hell. And here I am, an 11-year-old punk telling him, look up, <laughs> look up, because that's where Jesus is. Well, Jesus was hearing me and Jesus wanted to touch my heart. And Mrs. Call did that. Um, then she also went ahead and she started talking to me about the coming of the Lord. That I did not know. Because when you read the Bible, you talk about, it talks about Jesus, right? That for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. But you got to accept them, right? So that's where I was at. I had asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. But then it also says that those who are his, he's coming back to pick up. I didn't know that part. And I was like, what? What do you mean he's coming back? Mm -hmm. Yes, he's coming back. And I was like, hello, I'm leaving. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going. And I remember going home and telling my mom, mommy, Jesucristo viene. And she was like, huh? And that was the first time that I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with him. And I need to know what I need to do to leave with him. Now, during this time, um, was, your, was your father still with you there at the house? Well, no, my dad had left. So, so, so tell me a little bit about what happened all the way from there, all the way to maybe 13 years old, because I know something happened there when you guys were 13 years old, when you were 13. Yeah. So tell me, let, let's briefly go through that. What are the, some of the things that went through your life there? Um, well, during this time that I'm telling my mom, hey, look at Jesus, he's up there. Um, we start going to a Christian church um, called La Catedral de Pueblo. Um, and we, we lived down south, so it was a little far for us. But we went, me, my mom, and my grandmother. And my dad had left the My dad's still in the house. But um, he started saying that my grandmother couldn't participate of our lives. So me and my mom just continued to go to church. And then, then one Sunday that I end up going to church with my mom, um, we stopped by to see my grandmother really quick. We go home, and my dad was livid. He was super upset. Um, and that day was the day that my dad left the house. Um, I went into my room and my parents were arguing. My dad was telling my mom off and my dad goes ahead and I hear my, I always grew up with guns. My dad was a hunter. It was not a big deal if I have a gun in my house. And I hear my dad say to my mom, well, that's it. This is gonna end today. He pulls his gun and I hear him cock it. And he goes, either I kill you or you kill me. And I freaked out. I ran out of my room. I ran into their room and I jumped on his back. And he swung me off his back. I ran to the living room and obviously I got into trouble. You know, he disciplined me for it. But that moment in time was, I guess, where he reacted and where he saw, wait a second, this is going to get bad. And he left the house. Um, after that, my grandmother moved in. And then it, we lived, it was me, my mom, and my grandmother. My dad, I still got to see him. And all this time that my parents would argue, that my parents, when my dad split up, and all this time though, my mom would always tell me, Maggie, you respect your dad. He's your father. Maggie, call your dad. He's your father. Maggie, you're going to go see your dad. Since we had a business, I continued to go see my dad, and I would work with him every weekend. Um, he would pay me $25 the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and I would be there. But my mom always encouraged it because my mom always knew that I still needed my dad regardless of what was going on in the situation. Um, 
So he left. Um, by the time that I'm 13, the divorce took forever. They finally went ahead and they got a divorce. Um, like I said, I stayed with my mom, I stayed with my brother um, and my grandmother. And times were tough. After my dad left, um, it was really tough because my mom sat me down and she told me, Maggie, I was around this time, it was before the divorce, but like when my dad leaves, she sits me down and she goes to me, Maggie, everything's going to be different. And I go, okay. She goes, we're not going to have money for a lot of things. And I was like, okay. And I literally did see that. I saw the change. I knew what it was to have a bunch of food in the refrigerator, to have all my needs met, and then all of a sudden have nothing. I remember opening up the refrigerator and there was nothing to eat. Um, I wouldn't even ask, are we gonna eat? I would just, whatever was gonna be the food for the day, that's what I was gonna eat. Um, I remember not being able to go to birthday parties because when you go to a birthday party, you always wanna give, you know, you wanna give a birthday gift. And I remember not being able to do that. Um, my friends going out to movies or whatever, and me not being able to go out to the movies because I didn't have it. Nor did I want to put my mom in the bind and say, hey mom, can I go to the movies when I knew that we couldn't even pay the light bill. So that was during that time. Um, my dad, again, he was in the picture, but not really, not anymore financially. Um, my mom worked really hard from one day to the next. She had to, owning a business, she had to make need, she had to make she had to make sure that the needs the needs were met and she went out and she went and she couldn't find a job and she had to go pick tomatoes she went down to homestead and she picked tomatoes from owning a business one day to the next day going to pick tomatoes to provide for me and that's something that i'm extremely grateful for my mom that she did that um and my grandmother continued to pay for my private school until i was in ninth grade and that was a blessing, but what I see more is that it was God's hand of provision over me because it could have been totally different, 100%, and God took care of me. So I guess that, you know, your mom's um, job doing that, I'm sure it didn't pay for everything you guys needed, so it, it had to be, you guys had to be going through some tough times there. And uh, so what did you do about it? What happened there? Well, we struggled. By this time, I'm around 15 years old. Um, I didn't think, obviously, during that time, all my friends were having 15s, right? The whole big party. Um, we struggled, and we were able to get, you know, I couldn't even believe that my mom did that. We were able to get pictures. Um, somebody let me borrow that dress. And we went and we took pictures. That's my grandmother on the left and my mom on the right. And we got to take the pictures and so forth. And that was awesome. That was a blessing. And then we had a party at my house. And I was super, 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 super excited and super grateful. Why? Because I didn't even think that I was going to be able to have that. And what a blessing to be able to have it. Um, now, I'm 15 years old. And I can see the struggle that's going on in my house. My mom now finally, she only picked tomatoes for a season. <laughs> for a little time. She was able to get another job, thank the Lord at one of our competitors. And then from there, she went and got another job at a boat manufacturer. And um, she was working there, and I still saw that there was a need. Um, we were friends with the manager of Eckerd Drugs, which is now called CVS, guys. <laughs> and that was my first real job. My, my first job, obviously, was La Ferreteria, the hardware store, like all my life. But my first real, real job was there at Eckerd Drugs. It's on the top left corner is me. I'm 15 years old, and by law, this is like embarrassing to say, by law, you're supposed to be 16 to work. 
But like I said, um, we were really needy. Um, we needed money. And I wasn't stupid and I wasn't naive to not know that we needed cash. So what I did was I grabbed my birth certificate and I altered it. Maggie. <laughs> All right, go ahead. That's BC right there, before Christ. Before right? Christ. Okay, go ahead. It's really against the law. But still, that's crazy. <laughs> so it is una delincuente. So I altered my birth certificate. This is like all on my own, guys. Like this is before, hello, you guys have like Google, you got the internet, you got like your friends telling you all this. I am by myself, survival mode. And I'm like, I went to Eckerd's and I'm like, how old do I have to be to work here? And they're like 16 and I'm like, oh, geez, I just turned 15. I'm like, I can't like hang out for a whole year and like, no way. So then I start thinking, I go, I'm gonna alter my birth certificate. They're not gonna know. So I altered my birth certificate. I did. And I went over there with my birth certificate and I filled out the application and I lied. I did. And I got a job. And guess how much I was making? <laughs> I made $4.04 an hour. Back in the day, it was $3.76 an hour was minimum wage. So I got $4.04. <laughs> I went home and I told my mom, Mommy, me van a pagar $4.04. <laughs> And she goes, pero how are you going to work? How'd you get a job? And I'm like, don't ask questions. They gave me the job. <laughs> so I got the job, 404, yes. Um, I was excited. Um, during this time, I'm in high school, right? And I went, like I told you guys, I was in a private school, only like 20 kids, American kids mostly. And now high school comes along. High school, I can't afford a private high school. It was a miracle of God that I was in private school. My grandmother's little social security check would pay for it. So come 10th and 11th and 12th, my mom puts me into a public high school, which was Miami Southridge. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but Miami Southridge is a very tough school. Um, have metal detectors. I had never seen security guards with dogs coming around checking like lockers for the for drugs just going into random classrooms with the drugs like with the dogs sniffing for drugs i'm like what what are these dogs doing in here i didn't understand so it was a culture shock for me but my mom told me something which was awesome the day before because i was petrified i was like dying i was i couldn't sleep the night before and not because i was excited but because how in the world am I going into a public high school and I know nobody, no friends? Here I am again. Remember, fifth grade, I failed. Remember? Okay. Now let's fast forward, 10th grade, no friends again. So my mom goes to me, Maggie, you're going to smile at everybody. If somebody asks you to borrow something, you let them borrow it. If they ask you for paper, you give them paper. You do whatever. Be very polite. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Guess what happens? The next morning at 7.30, I'm like, okay, what did my mom tell me to do? I'm going to do it. So I did that. And believe it or not, those three years were awesome. Thank the Lord. Um, I had great friends. Um, I never had any issues. Nobody ever robbed me. Nobody ever got anything with me. Nobody tried to fight me. Nobody tried to break in my car. And in that place, cars would broken into all the time. Your lockers would be broken into. Listen to me. Nothing at all whatsoever. Everything was great. Now, during that time, right, I'm working at Eckerd Drugs. I'm 15, 16 years old. Now I'm 17. I, obviously, this is before Christ. Um, a guy starts liking me. 
I start liking the guy and he's my boyfriend. So I get a boyfriend and we were together for four years and he worked across from Edgar Drugs from me, right? And he worked at what used to be called Herman's World of Sports, which is now called Sports Authority. So he hooks me up with a job, okay? He hooks me up with a job and I was super excited because again, things are still tight in my house, like super tight. Now my mom has gotten worse though because my mom was working at that job and she trips and she breaks her ACL on her knee. So that was not expected. Again, um, for you guys so you know, my mom was very old when she had me. So she's old now during this time. So she messes up her ACL. Now she can't even work. Um, now things are very tight, but I find out in high school there's a thing called work experience. And I was like, what is this work experience about? So I go talk to my counselor. My counselor says, listen, you can go. We'll give you early release. You can leave at 11, and then you could work up to 30 hours. I was like, okay, cool. So my boyfriend, who's working at the sports place, right, he goes to me, Maggie, I can get you a job here for sure. And I'm like, okay, hook it up. So now I'm working at Eckerd Drugs, and I'm also working at Herman's. But then he tells me, Maggie, you know what we could do? I can get you to work 40 hours. And I'm like, but what am I going to do with my with like school? School's not going to let me. But because my boyfriend is the manager, we rigged all the paperwork. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. So that's bad though, guys. It's bad. But he did, and he did that. So I started working 40 hours a week at 16 and going to school, going to high school. But I was bringing home my mom. I was bringing her money, and I was trying to help out. Um, I guess it could have been worse, right? I could have gone and done things that were illegal. Um, but I did that at least to bring home a paycheck and to keep the lights on, keep the water on. I mean, just the plain, simple stuff, to be able to go and buy milk, be able to go and buy rice. Um, I still love it, arroz con huevo frito, but man, did I eat arroz con huevo frito. <laughs> wow. But so yeah, so that's, that's high school. <laughs> so tell us, and tell us how that relationship, you mentioned you were in that relationship for four years. How did that end? Well, we were together for four years. Obviously it ended, right? Um, I always say that you should never give out your heart, but I say that now. I didn't do that back in the day. No, go back up, back up a slide. Um, yeah, we're still here. Um, but obviously, hello girls. You guys are girls, like the girls. I'm going to talk to the girls. Somebody, a guy comes by, smiles, says, hi, you're so pretty, you're so this, you're so that. Ah. You're like, oh my gosh, your heart starts pumping, right? Hello, your heart's going to go for it, okay? I really wish that I would have been in youth group the way you guys are. It would have, I would have, I wouldn't have lost four years of my life. And yeah, I'm going to tell you, yes, it's true. I thought he was the love of my life. I gave him my heart. Um, he was much older than I was. He was in college already. I was in high school. Um, he always treated me with respect. He did. He was a gentleman. Um, he wasn't like a deadbeat guy. He wasn't. Um, he came from a good family. He wasn't like, you know, a thug or like, you know, that just was hanging out like by my house somewhere. It wasn't like that either. So to the world standard, yeah, it was okay. It was okay to have him. But ultimately, what was going to happen? We were going to change because let me tell you guys something. I'm looking, when I was looking for all these pictures, I'm looking at them like, oh my gosh, what was I wearing? Like that one with the pink. You see the pink? That's my prom dress, people. 
that fuchsia pink with that black like chest piece in front of it, that's my prom dress that my mother chose, God bless her, okay? The top picture that I'm in, that I'm with two other girls, I don't understand what I'm wearing. But here's the thing, your choices change consistently, all the time, all the time, with clothes. At your age, what you like in a boy, what you like in a girl, is gonna change from one year to the next. So we started, I started, it was four years. By the time the fourth year came around, he was totally different to me. And I was different towards him. And guess what happened? He cheated on me. Not only did he cheat on me, and I'm thinking that, okay, you know, I've already been with him for four years. Yeah, he's not my type anymore. And, but yeah, you know, we've been together. I'm thinking that. He's thinking the same thing, but he's like, I'm just gonna cheat on her. So he went and he cheated on me, and guess what he did? Guess what happened? Girl got pregnant. That sucks. So he comes to me and he tells me, I got a girl pregnant. I'm like, huh? <laughs> you have my heart. Are you kidding me? What? So that plus everything that I got going on at home, imagine how I was. I figured I just wasted four years of my life down the tubes. So we broke up. And then... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so tell us, so uh, was that the end of it? Was, uh, that's it, dating, you said I'm done with dating? No, I'm like a slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> Maggie, who's on the rebound here, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Man, I'm like exposing all my dirty laundry. <laughs> all of it is coming out. That's right, let it out. All right, so, <laughs> so this guy, right, loser that breaks my heart, gets another girl pregnant, Whatever, we break up. Um, like a year later, he did come back and he asked me, listen, let's get together. I'm like, uh, no, sorry. But on the rebound from him, I, did, I do meet somebody else. Um, he was a super nice guy. His name was Julio. Um, very sweet, very nice, super, super, super attentive. And here to, you were like 19. I'm 19. Okay. Super attentive to my grandmother, super attentive to my mom. My grandmother during this whole time, guys, by the way, from the moment that she moved in, she always had heart issues all the time. Bottom right corner. There she is, like really, really frail. Um, so this guy is like really helping us out. He's helping, out, helping me out with my mom. He's helping me out with my grandmother. Just like always there for me, you know? But I got to be honest, ugh, my heart wasn't in it. <laughs> but you just stick around, you know, because you want a boyfriend. And that's what the world feeds us, that we have to have somebody. And I want you guys to know something. When you guys are privileged, you guys are here in youth group, and you guys are being taught by the Lord. When you allow Jesus to fill that heart, to fill your void in your heart, to fill that desire of wanting to have somebody, guys, you can wait on God's perfect, perfect husband, God's perfect wife for you. You can wait. There's no need to be dating. There's no need to be going from a four-year boyfriend to another guy. There's no need for that. And here I am stuck in a relationship with a guy that's super nice, super sweet, taking care of my grandmother, taking care of my mom, just being awesome. And I, unfortunately, I'm not 100% in the relationship. So anyway, I'm in this relationship. And during that time, um, 
I start having issues again with my, like with my cold. With, I start getting a really bad cold. I start getting bronchitis. I got really sick. Um, they told me that I was going to have to get my tonsils taken out. Tonsillectomy. Not a big deal, right? Everybody gets that done. But my grandmother, who's really, 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 really sick during this time, we're in and out of the hospital constantly because of her. She had, I don't know how many heart attacks. Um, she gets scared. And she starts telling my mom, you cannot, you can't let her get a tonsillectomy. You can't, you can't. If you let her do that, she's going to lose her voice. So she was like out of fear. Like she didn't like sleep for like two or three days. She was like driving my mom crazy. My mom was like, no, she can't even breathe. Her tonsils are very swollen. We got to do it. So then that day I go in the morning, I leave with my mom to surgery. I go to the hospital. When I get back at night, I see everything's like moved around, like some of the furniture. And I'm like, that's weird. And in the back of my head, I'm like, man, furniture's only moved around in that way, like all weird, when the ambulance comes and takes my grandmother. And then my mom had my grandmother's door closed, so I'm thinking, okay, maybe my grandmother's sleeping. The next morning when I wake up, my mom tells me, I write down to her, I go, donde esta tata? And then she tells me, vístate, que está en el hospital, get dressed, she's in the hospital. And I go, okay, to me that's normal that she's in the hospital. And then she goes to me, she had a stroke. I freaked out. And the reason she had a stroke was because she was so scared that I was going to lose my vocal cords again, that I was not going to be able to speak. And that crushed me, guys. That was like, wow, my grandmother had a stroke because of me. It really hurt. I cried so much that day. So we went to the hospital, and in that picture, she had just gotten back um, from having that stroke. Um, it was hard. It was a little bit of a hard time. Also during that time, you see on that top left picture, it's my brother. My brother gets married. He goes on to have his wife. Um, I have my three friends. I met them in high school. And very good girls, the truth. I mean, we were never into drugs or anything like that. Um, good set of friends. Their parents were super awesome. Um, and that's a picture of me and my mom. And I'm there. I still have my boyfriend. Um, and he's helping me out, went to the hospital with us and everything, when my grandmother was in the stroke and then through the rehab and everything, his parents, A1, awesome parents. Um, during that time, though, I'm about to turn 20. And then the fun begins. <laughs> and you know, it happens a lot at that age. I'd say that um, people say that, there she is, blowing her 20 candles, two, well, two candles. But um, it's, uh, it happens at that age where where your heart begins to harden it's 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 a fact um 90 of people that come to the lord come before the age of 20 and uh and that's a and that's a fact and if you've known jesus before the age of 20 you're that statistic of nine out of ten people and so um you know here maggie really hasn't at this point hasn't turned her heart to the lord yet and there's to me it's a miracle um, and I, I, I'll tell you, I, I, I hate statistics sometimes. I throw that out the window um, because it could happen to many people. And so I'm, it's, it's a very pivotal part in her life being 20 years old because it's a very dangerous because people at that age, you're already set in your ways and your heart becomes hard and you don't want to hear anything. Um, but just tell us a little bit now. This is almost like uh, you said everything changed here. So tell us more about what's going on. Yeah, 20, I call it my fun year. <laughs> um, let's backtrack for a second, though, back to fifth grade round two. <laughs> okay, fifth grade round one, I fail. Fifth grade round two is Mrs. Call. 
we also had to memorize scripture, but that was like part of like school, like you would get graded on that. And one of the first verses that she made me memorize was Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. And that was one of the first passages of scripture that I remembered that I memorized. Um, the word of God says that to hide his word in your heart, hide it, keep it in your heart. Whatever you learn, whether it's just regular science, regular math, regular history, nobody can steal that from you, right? Nobody. Same is true with the word of God. When you learn the word of God and you hide it, like the Bible says in your heart, nobody can steal that from you. Nobody. So here I am at 20 years old. Um, my mom, like I said, she had gone to a Christian, a Christian church, right? When all the divorce happened, my grandmother did too. Um, we had a little bit of biblical background in the sense that we did always look for the Lord. I always remember my grandmother reading the Bible every single solitary day. Every morning when I would wake up, I would see my grandmother in her rocker reading her Bible. Um, every night when I would go to sleep, we would say the, our prayers together, me and my grandmother. Um, my mom would say her prayers on her own, and then we would go and pray to, together as well. So that was, my, that, that was my family unit, okay? So it was always surrounded by that. But here I am, I'm turning 20. Um, I still have that boyfriend that I told you guys about that was super sweet. Um, and I'm blowing out my candles, and I'm thinking we're going to make it. It's going to be okay. But during this time, you guys aren't even alive back then. Maybe some of the, no, not you guys either. <laughs> There's this huge hurricane that hits Miami, Hurricane Andrew. And you guys remember Hurricane Andrew? Yes? Yeah, yeah, Thank yeah. you, Jesus. <laughs> you young Maggie. Thank you, Lord. You were six. That's nice. <laughs> That's sweet. You were loving it. <laughs> That's so sweet. Anyway, so... Um, my mom, we're living in the house. It's me, my mom, and my grandmother, right? And my boyfriend during that time helps me get all the materials, you know, because you got to, like, hello, you guys watch, you know, the TV when there's a hurricane coming. Go get your supplies. Go get this. Go get that. Board up your windows. Da, 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 da. They drive you crazy, right? So, hello, I'm by myself. My mom's in a wheelchair. It's a little bit difficult, okay? So, my boyfriend helps me get everything together, whatever, and then I tell my mom, I go, Mom, we got to leave. And my mom's like, we're not leaving. I go, Mom, there's like this huge red dot around South Dade, and they're saying we're in an evacuation zone. You see? And I go up to the TV, and I go, you see? And I point to it. She goes, no. See, we just put up the roof. We'll be fine. And I'm like, Mom, listen to me what I'm going to tell you. Tata, which is my grandmother, is super sick. She's on an oxygen tank, okay? You are not doing well either. How am I going to sit here if something happens and take care of all three of us? Let's think about that really good. And she's like, no, yo no me voy. And I'm like, okay. So then my boyfriend comes and he goes, well, I'm not going to leave all three of women by yourselves when there's a category five and they're saying it's going to be catastrophic coming our way. I'm not leaving you guys at home. So then my, I asked my mom, I go, mom, Julio wants to come and he wants to stay here. Is that okay? Because that was not allowed at all. Like Julio had to leave the house at, by eight o'clock at night all the time. Okay. Like this was like strict. So here is this guy saying, look, we're gonna, I'm going to stay there with you overnight. So my mom goes, well, okay, that's fine. You know, he could sit there in the living room. Okay, we'll take it for just that. But then at 11 o'clock at night, his parents call my mom and say, listen, it's really bad. And what's headed your way is going to be really bad. We have two guest rooms. Why don't you guys come? 
So my mom says, she looks at me and she goes, do you want to go over there? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, every single news channel is saying that it's going to be bad. I don't know. I think we should leave. So we jump into the car and by this time it's pouring and we leave. So we make it over there. He lived in Lakes of the Meadow. So we get over there and sure enough, man, it was bad, really bad hurricane. Um, in Lakes of the Meadow, a lot of trees fell. It was really bad. So come the next morning, um, they are starting to say that it's, you know, that it's catastrophic, that it's really bad, everything. Uh, my mom says, listen, why don't you go with Julio to the house to see what happened? I'm like, okay. So I jump in the car with my boyfriend and we drive. The drive should take 45 minutes to an hour regular. Listen to me what I'm going to tell you. It took us four and a half hours to get to my house because of the amount of traffic, the down power lines, the flooding. And what's hard is that when I get close to my house, my neighborhood does not look like my neighborhood. And when I get like a house away from my house because I couldn't get to my house, what was difficult was that when we parked the car, that I look at what's supposed to be my house, there is no house. There's just four concrete walls. When we left that night, we left with the clothes on our back. Um, we left the dog inside the bathroom because they always say to stay in the bathroom, right? And all I can think of when I'm looking at this building that's supposed to be my house, that is supposed to have a roof, and there's nothing. And I look, and outside there's stuff that belongs to us. And I'm like a house away from my house. And everything is destroyed. The only thing I can think of is how do I tell my mom and my grandmother that we've lost everything? So my boyfriend goes, the saint that he was, starts climbing into the roof. And I'm crying hysterical. And all of a sudden, I'm like, stop. And I literally told myself to stop. And I stopped crying. He opens up the door, because you can't open the door by the outside. He opens, I op he pushes out the door. And I go inside the house, and I can't walk inside the house because everything has caved in. Um, there's no roof, nothing. The roof is gone. The roof is inside the house, like literally four concrete walls. And I'm in there, and I'm like, why am I even in here? I can't take nothing. I can't even take clothes. There's, there's, there's nothing. Everything's ruined. So get back in the car. And we drive back to where my mom is. Another four and a half hours. Um, I get to his house. My mom's there. And she goes to me, why took you so long? This is before cell phones, people. What took you so long? And my grandmother's there with her little cane, all frail. And she goes, what happened? And I look at my grandmother. And I go, no, just some trees. You know, just some trees. My, grand, my mom grabs me by the arm and pulls me into the garage. And she goes to me, tell me the truth, what happened? And I have to tell my mom, who's worked so incredibly hard for everything that we had. She worked hard. I had to look at her in her eyes and tell her that we had lost everything. And I go, Mommy, perdimos todo. She just started crying. 
and I'll never forget that as long as I live. And all she said was, no te preocupes, Dios está con nosotros. That's what she said. That gave me strength. Well, we didn't have much left after that, obviously. That was in August. Um, we moved in with my aunt, a little tiny two-bedroom duplex that she had in Sweetwater with my aunt and my uncle. And um, my grandmother now is getting worse, obviously. You know, she's old, she's 79. She already lost everything in Cuba. She came over here, you know, like, hello. You know, it's, it's been difficult. And now here we are at the end and she's lost everything, you know? I remember at one point, Boricita, she goes to me, Maggie, y la mesita de cocer. I'm like, <laughs> la mesita de cocer. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, because we never took my grandmother back. Hello, that would have been bad. We never took her back to her house. Anyway, so um, my grandmother got super sick. She got even worse. Um, in November, she got so bad. She had another heart attack. And they told us, listen, we can do open heart surgery. And we're like, man, I don't think we want to do that. But my grandmother goes, no, we're going to do open heart surgery. I want to do it. Um, and here's the funny part. My my mom, you see how my mom, like I explained to you guys who my mom was, that she was like a fighter, that she would just kept fighting. No te preocupes, que Dios está contigo, Dios está conmigo. My grandmother was the same way. My grandmother always also wanted to help. She wanted to provide. And there where you see her, that she's so old, she doesn't want to die because she knows that her little social security retirement check helps. And that's what she has on her mind. So she decides that she's going to do the open heart surgery so she can stay alive. That's what she does. So she does the open heart surgery. And obviously, it wasn't good. She gets out of the open heart surgery. And November 26 of 92, it's Thanksgiving Day, and I'm in the hospital. And they're telling us that she's going to die any moment. So I'm there with her, I'm laying with her, and all of a sudden, that was it. And she died. It was the first person that was so close to me that had ever died. My mom was sitting in the chair next to her, and I go, Mommy, Tata se murió. And it was hard. So now it's me and my mom. And my mom has decided, we went ahead and we started rebuilding the house, right? And we're like, you know, we're gonna pick up the pieces and move on, no big deal. We just move forward, right? So we're doing that, building up the house again and stuff like that. And my mom decides that she says, you know what? You know, like everything that happened with your grandmother, her heart and stuff like that, I'm gonna go get a checkup. And I'm like, okay. Now during this time I'm working now, that's it, I've left the sporting goods. I'm working at a bank now. And she calls me at the bank and she tells me, Maggie, listen, I went to the doctor and the doctor says that I, need to, that I need to go to the hospital, but I told him to wait, that I had to wait for you. And I was like, what? Hospital? What are you talking about? She's like, yeah, do you think you can leave early? And I was like, well, I got out of work at four. Do you want me to leave earlier than that? She goes, yeah, I think so. And I'm like, what does that mean? Because my mom's never like that. My mom is never, she was never someone that's dramatic. Um, like if she had a headache, okay, deal with it. If she had to go to the, like if she was sick, you deal with it. It's not like oh, run to the doctor for everything at all. 
So here she is telling me that, yeah, that the doctor told her that she's got to go to the hospital. And I'm like, okay. So I left early. I left at two, went over there. Um, I'm still with this guy, the saint, <laughs> Julio. Um, he literally was a saint, poor guy. Um, super sweet, guys. He was super sweet. But um, he... I. When I get to the house, well, when I hang up with my mom, I call him and I tell him, listen, this is what's going on. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to leave my work right now. I'm going to go straight over there. I'm going to meet you at your mom's. Da -da 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 -da. And I'm like, okay, cool, fine. So whatever. I go to my mom. When I get to my house, he's already there. And then he goes, okay, let's go. We're going to go to the hospital. So we head over to Mount Sinai Hospital. We get over there, and then now the doctor's talking to me and telling me exactly what's going on. They found an issue with my mom's heart. Apparently she had a silent heart attack and she didn't know. And they're saying that they gotta do some tests and so forth, so they do the test, whatever. She ends up having to do a catheterization on Sunday. This is a Friday, catheterization on Sunday. And they tell us, listen, we couldn't finish the catheterization. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking to me about. I have no idea what that is. I don't know, what's gonna happen? Talk to me in English. This is me talking to the doctor. Because I'm not, I wasn't gonna sit there and pretend that I knew what they were talking about. I mean, I need to know facts. So he's like, okay, your mom's not doing good. And I'm like, okay, so what are we gonna do? And he goes, well, we're gonna do open heart surgery. And I'm like, open heart surgery? He's like, yes. And I go, listen to me what I'm gonna tell you. Six months before, my grandmother just had open heart surgery and we just buried her. So I don't think that's a good idea. And he's like, no, don't worry about it. Your mom's younger and it's gonna be okay. I'm like, okay, cool. All right, so my mom says, okay, I'm gonna do it. So here we are, let's go do open heart surgery again. So we do the open heart surgery. That's on Monday. Um, it was hard because I was there by myself and they tell me, okay, in about four and a half hours to five hours, we'll come out and let you know how it is. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that was sort of like the same way that they told me with my grandmother. The four-hour mark goes, four-and-a-half mark goes, five-hour mark goes, six hours. I'm like, okay. Doctor comes out, and he goes to me, um, Maggie, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, yeah, I've been waiting. And he's like, and it's sort of like a red flag that not a nurse is coming. It's the doctor coming. And he's like, um, listen, you know, we finished the surgery, but unfortunately, when we were finishing the surgery, something happened to your mom's heart, and we had to go back in there. Um, she's alive, but she's not doing good. I'm like, okay. So then we waited out. Um, finally, my brother comes by to the hospital um, and stuff like that. My three friends came over. Um, Julio the Saint was there. <laughs> he was there, you know, firm there next to me, pobrecito, after work. And he, she, my mom got worse. Tuesday was bad, her kidneys started failing. Um, got really bad on Wednesday. On Wednesday they tell me, listen, we're gonna have to go into surgery again. So they go into surgery again, they come out, and when they're coming out of surgery that they're there, they let me go into the recovery room to see her, and it was like in the movies. I come to see my mom, my mom doesn't look like my mom, their kidneys stopped working, so she's like very swollen. And I look at my mom, and my mom's not, like her eyes were like flushed to her face. She was really swollen. And all of a sudden, just like that, like what you see on the movies, that you see the screen, that you see her heart, tuk, 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 tuk. 
all of a sudden, it just flatlines. The doctors come, the nurses come, they th push me to the back, they come with those machines, defibrillator, is it, with those things? And they start trying to, like, get her heart working. And right there in front of me, she passes away. To the day that was six months to the day that my grandmother and my mom died. So here you are, I mean, obviously, your dad's not even in the picture. Um, you lose your house. You, not even a month or a couple months after, you lose your grandmother. You lose your mom six months after that. What was next? So you're, you're alone, you're living alone at this point, I can imagine. I'm living alone. I, by the way, I was extremely sheltered to this point. My mom's funeral, like for real, if failing fifth grade didn't make me feel stupid, my mother's funeral made me feel stupid because everybody was like, oh, lo siento mucho, Maggie. I am so sorry. But then you would, they would come up to you and say, ¿Y qué tú vas a hacer? and what are you going to do? Like, at one point, I tell my best friend, I'm like, am I retarded? What, what do you mean, what am I going to do? I'm going to like live. But all this time, my mom and my grandmother have been taking care of me, and everybody and their mother knows that they take care of me. I am taken care of. Like, I never even stayed in my house, not even five minutes alone. I kid you not, at all. I never, ever, ever, that thing about staying home and then your mom and your grandmother going out and you staying, like, for the afternoon home, yeah, never me. I was always with somebody in, in, in my house with me. So here I am now. My mom has died. From one day to the next, I have to live alone. Needless to say, the light stayed on for a full month. And I am not even joking. <laughs> Did not turn off a light in a whole month. The TV stayed on inside the living room and the TV stayed on in my room. Then I got the light bill. Things changed. Okay? <laughs> not even joking. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, at that time, I was in school. I was in college. I was in Miami-Dade. I was taking only one class at a time. Um, that's what I could afford. And I didn't want to get into debt and stuff like that. Um, student loans weren't as they are now. It was a little bit harder back in the day. And so I was just taking that one class. I was working. Um, I'm a little bit confused as to what to do. I'm 20 years old. My boyfriend decides that like I said, always supportive, super. He says, Maggie, I have the perfect solution. And I was like, okay, what's up? And he goes, we should get married. And I look at him, I'm like, get married? He goes, yeah, I think we should get married. And I'm like, listen to me what I'm gonna tell you. I'm not getting married just because of tragedy. Ain't gonna happen. Mind you, he's like super in love with me, but it's just, it's just not there. You know, if it's not there, it's not there. And it wasn't like, I mean, he wasn't ugly. He was a good-looking guy and everything. He had good, like, everything. Everything was great, but it was just, it just wasn't there. So the guy asks me to get married, and I'm like, no. So what happens? I break the guy's heart, basically, and we break up. Poor guy couldn't hold it anymore. He's going to let me go. So we break up, and now it's a little bit harder for me, obviously, because now I'm, like, 100% alone. But um, so two months, for, that went on for, like, two months that we had been broken up, and he calls me again, whatever, we start talking again, and then I start feeling like a little bit like a jerk, right? Because man, this guy is really, really supportive. He's been so awesome with my, my mom, so awesome with my grandmother, the hurricane. I mean, how could I do that to him, you know? And I start feeling guilty. 
So I give him another chance and we start just talking back and forth, you know, again. And he goes, okay, let's go out. So I'm like, okay, let's go out. And he had a motorcycle. He had a car and he also had a motorcycle, which I liked motorcycles. Um, and whatever, I did like motorcycles. And we go out, <laughs> we, were, we would always go out on the motorcycle. This particular night though, um, again, I'm like by myself. I don't have to be asking permission from nobody. If I wanna go out, I go out. If I don't wanna go out, I don't have to go out. And if I wanna go out at 11 o'clock at night, guess what, I can go out at 11 o'clock at night. I don't have to ask anybody questions. So here's this night, right, it's a Saturday night. And he goes to me, okay, let's go out to dinner, whatever. I'm going to go pick you up, da da da, da. I'm going to go on the bike. And I'm like, okay, cool. All of a sudden, my friends call me, Maggie, let's go to the beach. And I'm like, oh, the beach. Again, I've never hit the club scene. I've never been into any of that. I was like sheltered, remember? What I was telling you guys, super sheltered. And I'm like, oh, the beach, a club? Yes. Okay. So I call him back and I go, listen, <clears throat> I'm like not feeling good. And like my throat and like... I don't think I should really go out, you know, like, what if I get sick, then I can't go to work, <clears throat> and I'm like having like this scratchy thing, and I, and you know that I gotta take care of it, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, and he's like, okay, all right, no problem, so that's fine. So I don't go out with him. Go, I go out to the beach, whatever. Get home, you guys are hearing all oh, my laundry for real. <laughs> I get home at four o'clock in the morning, 3.30, four o'clock in the morning. That's rather late, okay? And back in the day, we had answering machines. We didn't have the cell phone voicemail answering machine, and it's flashing. I'm like, who's going to call me, right? Because all my friends, I was just with them now. Nobody's called me. And it's his aunt. Maggie, llámame inmediatamente que tú cojas este mensaje. And I'm like, wow, that doesn't sound good. So then I checked the timestamp, and it had just been like a half an hour before. And I'm like, okay, so I'll call. So I call her, and she goes, Oh my gosh, Maggie, you have no idea. You need to come over here right now. And I'm like, what happened? She goes, come over here now. Come to Julito's house. And I'm like, but what happened? Something happened to Julito. You need to come over here right now. And I'm like, something happened to Julito. What are you talking about? And she goes, lo mataron, se mató. And I'm like, what? So what happened was he was on the motorcycle and he went out, he was at a stop sign, and one of our other like mutual friends, she wasn't that much of a friend of mine, but whatever, she was with him too, and there was a bunch of other bikes, and a little old man didn't see him at a stop sign, and ran straight into him. His liver bursted, he was airlifted to rider trauma, and he died four hours later. So that's what happened to my boyfriend. When I get to their house, they're going crazy. Um, it was really weird, really strange to go into the house, see my picture everywhere, our pictures everywhere. The worst thing was that I was gonna be on that bike. And I wasn't. The girl that was on the bike stayed with a limp and she stayed with like a bunch of problems. So that could have been me or I could have died. And I know for a fact that had I died that moment in time, I wouldn't have gone to heaven. Now, one of the big things that I've missed to mention is that when my grandmother died, when the hurricane hit, when my grandmother died, when my mom died, 
And now when my boyfriend dies, there's one thing that was constant coming up in my heart. And it was the verse that I memorized back when I was 11. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. But wow, trust in the Lord, like for real? So now my boyfriend dies, I'm gonna continue to trust in you? What is this, a joke? So my grandmother dies, I lose my house, I lose all my belongings, everything. We're already poor and now we lose everything? My grandmother dies, trust in the Lord. My mom dies, trust in the Lord. And now Julio dies. I'm upset. I don't want to trust in the Lord at that point. I'm really upset. And so what was your, what was your reaction to all that? You, I know you're upset. And so did you turn to God? Did you reject God? What, what, what happened there? After the funeral, I go home to an empty house, start taking down pictures of me and this guy that was like madly in love with me. I'm gonna take them down because it's a little bit weird to walk around and you have these pictures up, right? I start taking them all down and I'm pissed. I'm really angry. Remember what I told you guys about my dad's anger? Unfortunately, that was the anger that I had. That's all that I saw, that's all that I, that I learned so here I am, and that's what I got going on inside. So yeah, the Lord's reminding me, trust in the Lord. But I'm so mad. I've struggled my entire life. From the moment that my parents split up, my entire last 10 years, I had to lie to get a job. I had to lie to my school. I had to struggle and keep struggling financially. I've had to take up this weight that I don't deserve. I've had to grow up. I couldn't participate of all my friends' activities. I couldn't do any of that. And now my boyfriend dies. And I look up in the ceiling. I'm in the living room of my house. I'm all by myself in that house. And I scream out to God. And I tell him, I believe in who you are. And I know you exist. But this thing of trusting in you no. You gave me this life to what? To torture me? To see me just be tortured? I don't like my life. I don't love my life. And I hate my life. This is me screaming out to God. I hate my life. And the only reason that I will not kill myself, the only reason is because I refuse to give you the privilege of making me pay for it. That's what I tell the Lord. That moment, that was a pivotal moment in my life. From, and I told him, from this moment forward, that's it. I'm not going to be good. I'm not going to do what your word says. I could care less. And I'm going to live my life how I want to live it. I refuse to live by the book. Tell us a little bit about this picture here. So who are these people? These are my friends that I met in high school. Um, again, they're good. I mean, they weren't bad people at all. Um, go to Halloween, so forth. Here you can see that I'm a little bit different, right? Bottom right-hand corner. That's not like the Maggie you guys know, right? 
That is Maggie, I don't give a rip. I don't care. I really, literally, I did not care. I don't care. I don't care about life. I'm gonna do whatever I want. I'm gonna drink. I'm gonna do whatever I want. I won't do drugs though. For whatever reason, I decided I would never do drugs. But I'm gonna drink and I'm gonna have a good time and I'm gonna party. Is this your fridge, Maggie? What is that? <laughs> Got a whole keg in there. Who spotted the keg? <laughs> well, I lived alone. And although I was broke, I lived on Raymond noodles and hot dogs. No joke. But my friends, we would always party in my house before actually going out. They would bring all the liquor. They would bring all the stuff. And my refrigerator, since it was empty. <laughs> you were the good girl. <laughs> I was. Since my refrigerator was empty, we didn't need a cooler because the fridge is empty. So they would put everything in the fridge. Um, I used to like always to say, I used to always say, oh, but I don't drink alone, so that doesn't make me an alcoholic. Come on, please, I'm not an alcoholic. Listen to me what I'm gonna tell you. If you go out and you party and you have to have a drink in your hand at all given moments, you're an alcoholic. Let's call it the way it is. And yeah, granted, I have seen real alcoholics that wake up in the morning and they're drinking. Yes, that's like the other extreme. But this is the beginning of me becoming an alcoholic, for sure, 100%. Because I would drink, I drink, you guys see how much water I have? <laughs> okay? I drink a lot of water. I'm constantly thirsty. My mom even did take me to the doctor at one point in my life thinking, what's wrong with her? Why does she drink so much? And she thought I was diabetic. It wasn't that I was diabetic, I just need a lot of fluids. Okay, imagine drinking. And those of you guys who hang out with me, you guys know how much water I drink. Okay, I'm constantly drinking. Imagine being in the world and drinking. Then the joke was that I could pound beers as much as a guy, like a pirate. So I would be drinking and doing shots and drinking and shots and guess what? I wasn't getting drunk. It's a lie of the pit of hell. Why? Because the devil had a plan. He wanted to make me drink so much to then make me become an alcoholic. So there I am, trying to find joy, and I'm smiling. I'm smiling in all those pictures, but I'm so empty. So incredibly empty. And nobody there knowing that I just told God that I hate him and that I hate my life. Nobody there knowing that I secretly want to kill myself. Nobody there knows that. They just think Maggie's cool and we can party in her house. That's the Maggie that's there that's smiling. All right, and I, I wanna know, and I think we all wanna know, so we've seen chaos, just really, I call it chaos, it, this is chaos. Um, and, but I thank God that God is one who takes chaos and puts it into order, and um, I wanna hear the part where, what came next? Because I, I know that what came after all this disaster in your life, God saw chaos and he started to put order in your life, but tell me how that started. So I was working at the bank and I had to, and I switched jobs. I switched jobs to this comp to another company. And um, it was my, one of my mom's friends in an attorney's office. At that attorney's office, I make friends with the company across the hall. Um, I make friends with him, with like the owner's son or whatever. And downstairs, he offers me a job. Eesh. 
<laughs> so he offers me a job. Okay, I wasn't going to say this part, but that's fine. Yeah, I forged my birth certificate. <laughs> I did everything. Okay, so he offers me a job, and he tells me, listen, you look you're like you're really good. I'm looking for a secretary. Would you be interested in working for me? And I'm like, okay, no problem. And he goes to me, how much do you get paid? And I go, I get paid 10 bucks an hour. I was getting paid eight back in the day. And he goes, wow, 10 bucks, huh? And I'm like, yep. And he goes, all right, I can match that. And I look at him, I'm like, um, you can match it, but like, what can we do afterwards? It's already a raise, but I'm like playing like the poker face, a punk playing the poker face. And I'm like, okay, so yeah, you can match it, but is there anything later? And he's like, yeah, like six months down the line, you know, we could, you know, work on something like that, you know, maybe give you another raise or whatever. It's like, okay. And I go, I would have to give my job two weeks notice. And he's like, okay, that's fine. I went back to my job and I only give him a, I only give him a few days. I took a week and a half off as vacation. <laughs> and I partied, I did. So I start working at this company, right? And as I'm there, um, whatever it was, uh, like they would go to like nursing homes and do x-rays and EKGs. So I'm working as his, as his secretary. It's his office is there, my office is here. And then there's like a hallway and then everybody else is on that side. So this is like week one. Um, everybody now, hello again, I'm the new girl. Oh geez, I hate that new girl feeling. Um, because you guys see me here talking, you guys think I'm sociable. I am not. I am extremely shy. This right here, me sitting here, is the grace of God. <laughs> but like, even at my job now, that it's like a new job for like a year, people think that I'm like so quiet and I just smile, and that's the way I am for real in real life. Anyway, so here I am in this new job, quiet, smiling, and the, a guy comes in, right? And you guys all know him, Pastor Joey, right? Back then, he wasn't a pastor. He had just become a Christian. Comes in, introduces himself to me, and I'm like, hey, what's up? Hi, Joey. How are you? Da, da, da. Okay, cool. And then it was always an in and out, and he was, like, super cool. And, like, three weeks in or four weeks in, um, he gets a job for his best friend. He has a best friend since they were in fifth grade, and his best friend is Jose. So um, Jose Red, you guys know him as Jose Red, which is my husband. Um, now, back in that day, obviously, he wasn't my husband. So there we are. So Joey comes into my little office, right? And he would always come into my office and talk to me and stuff like that. And one day, so I'm sitting on my desk, right? Like this. Like I have my back towards him, and, my, and I'm on my computer. And he comes and he sits right back there. And then he's like, um, so, like, you should, like, really come to youth group. And he starts talking to me about church. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, but, like, I don't even turn around. Whatever, so he starts off like that. Then, again, he, he comes again another day, same thing. Then, the third time, guess what the guy does? Again, I'm with my computer, back towards him, and he goes to me, um, so you know about God, huh? And I'm like, yeah, I know who he is. And he goes, well, you know about Jesus? And I'm like, yeah, I know who he is. He's like, well, you know he's coming back, right? And I'm like, yeah. And then he goes, yeah, because in Matthew 24, it says that there'll be two in a field. And I got so upset. I turn around. I'm like, are you trying to talk to me about the rapture? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, I know about the rapture. I know about Matthew 24. I know about First and Second Thessalonians. I know about Revelation. I got it. I know it. I don't need to hear it. And I turn around. Super rude I was. So here's Miss Maggie, very shy, very smiling. I got demon-possessed. 
<laughs> I got pissed because he was trying to scare me into the kingdom. Anyway, he was so sweet, though. He left. He didn't tell me nothing, and he should have told me off. He didn't tell me anything. But again, going back to Coleridge Christian Academy, they taught me all this stuff, so I knew it. But Joey didn't know what I had just gone through. I had just gone through a year of pure hell, and I had just told God, I don't care. I don't care. And now he's trying to scare me into the kingdom. Well, guess what? That weekend, I remember going out, and it was like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was having a blast. And all of a sudden, I felt it. If I come back, will you stay or will you go? Wow. Talk about just losing the happiness that I was feeling. I was like, wait, I need like three or four more drinks. No, mentira, I didn't do that. But for real, I felt like, ugh. I left the dance floor. I got super like, I want to go home. And I started having a little bit. Something started getting stirred up only because of what Joey was doing. So Joey goes and tells Jose. Jose back then was working in the office. He had just started working in the office. Joey worked out on the field. And he goes and tells Jose, hey, we got a backslider in here. A backslider is somebody who knows who Jesus is, who walked with Jesus, and then said, see ya to God, and dips. Well, so he goes and tells that to Jose, and Jose goes, a backslider. Where? Maggie. Maggie? Maggie doesn't know God. Are you crazy? Maggie knows nothing about God. And then he, Joey goes, yeah, bro, she knows who God is. She knows Jesus. She's a backslider, bro. And then <laughs> Jose's like, uh-uh, I'm in this office all day. She knows nothing about God. So that proves to you guys who I was during that time. Well, anyway, so me and Joey, whatever, we hit it off because he was super cool, and I was super cool. No. Anyway, but um, my friend Erica decides to come and visit me for lunch, and Joey was there at lunch, and he goes, I go, come on, let's go out for lunch, whatever. So we go out to lunch, right? So then... Erica's in the driver's side, I'm in the passenger side, and Joey's behind me. So Joey starts telling Erica about the Lord. And Erica's like, yeah, 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 that's awesome, you know, that's awesome. And then Joey's like, yeah, man, you guys should go, man. I've been telling Maggie all the time, so let's come to youth group, but she doesn't want to go. You should tell her. And Erica looks at me, she's like, Maggie, man, yeah, you know what, Maggie, that's what you need. We're going to go this Saturday. And I'm like, oh, my God, I start going like this, like telling her. Oh, no, no. And then Joey's like, for real, you guys are going to go on Saturday? And Erica's like, yeah, 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 we're going to go. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so here comes Saturday. <laughs> I call Erica. Erica, I'm on my way to pick you up. Maggie, man, okay, Marcus just came over. She was having trouble with her boyfriend. He just came over. We're going to talk things out. I'm like, Erica. She goes, I know, I know, I'm selling out. I'm like, Erica, listen to me. If I don't go pick up this guy, and go to youth group. I'm going to hear it come Sunday, come Monday. And she goes to me, I know, I know, I know. Look, just go to that little youth group thing, whatever, and we'll meet up at the beach after. And I'm like, bro, you better not sell me out. And she goes, no, 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 I promise, I promise. I'm like, okay. So I go pick up Joey, and then we drive to the youth group. Wow. We get to youth group, and I don't know what I had in my head what youth group was. You guys are like ultra cool, like for real. <laughs> So Joey tells me, no, it's at a house. And I'm like, 
great, fantastic. Is that a house? I started thinking, I'm going to have una vieja telling me, tienes que buscar de Dios, que la cosa está fea allá afuera en la calle. This is all the stuff that's coming through my head. Or I'm going to have some old man tell me, niña, tú necesitas a Cristo. This is all the stuff that's coming in my head, right? Or I'm thinking I'm going to like a priest's house. I had everything you could imagine in my head. And then Joey's like, bro, you're going to love it, bro. It's super cool. We're down. Que se yo. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, no, no, no. It's right here. And, the dent and I go, this is a dentist office. He's like, no, no, no. We go in through like a little hallway in the back. And I'm like, bro, little hallway in the back. Where the heck is this guy taking me? <laughs> I start like, bro, hold up. So then I park. I see a lot of cars. I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, the guy works with me. So it can't be that bad, right? And Joey's cool. So I get off, whatever, and yeah, we go through, like, there was, like, this little, like, little door. I don't know. Anyway, we go through there, and we go into the room, and when we go in there, I'm, like, expecting a house, but it's not. It's, like, the back of a house. And, guys, it was so awesome, bro. It was awesome. I walk in the door, and there's just a group of people like that, like, sitting in a circle. And I remember Jose. I seen, right when I, when we opened up the door, Jose was, like, the first person that I saw, and he's, like, Like, oh my gosh, he's here, right? <laughs> and then I look to the left and I see our, your pastor now, our, my pastor, Pastor Joaquin. Back then he was a youth pastor and his wife, Yvette. And they're like there on the side and he's playing a guitar. The guitar has like a string coming out of it because like the string popped. So he's just there. Nothing like What you like what we have here, nowhere even close, guys. No idea. No, you no guys idea. have no clue. This was an act of God. Okay? So it's like a little room. Bro, the chairs don't even match. <laughs> This is like, bro, hold on. Let's just put some chairs together and let's just worship God style. And that's what I walk into. And then Yvette's sitting next to him. And guys, I got there like in the middle of worship, right? And what's so cool is that my perception of where I was going was so completely different to what I walked into. We didn't have lights. We didn't have anything. I walk in there and I sit down and everybody's worshiping the Lord, right? They're singing songs. We don't have, like you guys have words on us. We don't have that. Hello. Um, we were just, you had to know the song to be able to sing the song. And I sit down, and um, they're singing a song. And the presence of God was there. I don't really know Joey. I don't really know Jose. I've known them for only a month. I don't know these people. I've been super hard these past two years. And all of a sudden, I just start hearing the words that Pastor Joaquin is saying. And I'm like, bro, stop it. Like, I remember in my heart at first, like, stop. And the song that he was singing was, Once my life was so empty, I had no reason to live. I couldn't find anyone with real love to give. And that's what I was feeling. And tears started coming down my eyes. And it was just, it was so quiet, like I couldn't hear anybody else. And that's all I could hear was, Once my life was so empty, I had no reason to live. I couldn't find anyone with real love. 
Then one day I met Jesus. Hallelujah, my Jesus. Such a love divine to my broken life came. Since that day I'm just not the same. All I heard that once my life. I just kept hearing it. Once my life was so empty, I had no reason to live. I didn't want to live. I had no one to love me, no one to care for me. No one that would bring me a cup of water. No one that would even care. No one that would call me. And I walk in the door, and that's the music that was playing. And I wanted to meet Jesus again, because I was a backslider. Because I had had that opportunity to meet him, and I turned my face and I left. The other part of that song says, I want to tell the world what I found. I want to spread the good news around. Oh, I cannot hide the joy that's inside. Cause Jesus died and now he's alive. Oh, hallelujah, he reigns. And I went home not knowing how to sing. And I still don't know how to sing. But I knew that that had entered in my heart. And I want to spread his gospel. Right. I want to spread what he did for me. Yep. That moment, Pastor Joaquin didn't have to preach. The presence of God was in that place and tore my heart in half, broke my heart in half. His power, his spirit entered into me. And everything that I had lost those 22 years, God gave it back to me like this, in an instant. So I start walking with the Lord, and oh my gosh, I never wanted anything else. I felt a joy in my heart that you guys can't imagine. In that picture up there, you see me, Jose, and Joey hanging up and down. You guys have no idea. Joey and Jose, for me, for me they were my brothers for real. They cared for me. Immediately, Clarita, Mirta, Virginia, which is Jose's mom. You guys never got to meet her because she went on to be with the Lord. Those three women grabbed a hold of me. And yeah, I had lost my mom and I had lost my grandmother. But man, God gave me something incredible right after. Those three women took care of me like you have no idea. They worried about me. Jose's mom would give me food. He would, she would send food with Jose for me for lunch. Not another day did I go out having lunch. Clarita always worried about me. Clarita calling me. She would always talk to me. She would call me on the phone at work. They would worry if I got home, if I didn't get home. You know what that is? Three strangers that know nothing about me. Now they're just pouring their love and their heart over me. That's Jesus, guys. And that's what I met in that day in that youth group. And Mita, oh my gosh. Tia Mirta, pray for her. She's in the hospital and she had a stroke. 
But what I've noticed is that she had a stroke and that joy that's in her life has not left, man. And I guarantee you guys, she can't talk right now, but I know for a fact that woman is praying for all of us. All the time. And her prayers are what has me here today. The prayers of her have me here. The prayers of Clarita have me here. Because that's what God did. So I went, I got a Bible, and I got a Bible for all three of my friends because I wanted them to know this joy that I had just found. I wanted them to see it, and I wanted them to hear it. I invited them to come to youth group. They all three accepted the Lord, but they didn't walk. I stayed alone, but God gave me Jose and Joy, and it was a blessing and a half. In our youth group, I was the older one, and so was Yvette. We were both the same age. And praise God for Yvette. She really grabbed a hold of me, and she would worry about me too. She would hang out with me. She discipled me. We would go to her house on Saturdays. Dude, just like open arms, strangers. And that's why I'm here today, and that's the love of Christ. All right, so I'll tell you, it's uh, what happened in that group, in that youth group, was so powerful. And um, I came not too longer after that. And uh, that's another night. You guys have heard my testimony. But I'll tell you something about what happened in that place. Um, God, did, in, the, in, the, in that room of just a few people, turned to being 20 people, to 50 people, to 100 people, to sometimes 150 people. And I'm talking about, when I say people, I'm talking about youth and young adults in the place, just like you see here. And um, there was a huge core of people. Like Maggie, like myself, like Joey, like Jose. You saw all these people that when they came to know the Lord, um, they, this was their life. I mean, I came in there and I heard that same song, Once My Life Was So Empty. I came in there so empty. But I left that place with such an answer in my life. And so did Maggie. And we wanted to spread the good news around like that song said. And um, I, just Maggie, because I didn't know this, these details that she's spreading the word. She wants to tell everybody of what God is doing in her life. And this happened to all of us in that group. There was a fire going on in that place. And that's what, and I'll tell you, it's not, you know, it's, it's not just something special that happened back then. It's something great that can happen so much even in this place like it has. Where God changes people's lives and you have nothing but you just want to spread that fire around. And uh, that's what spread and made that group what it came to be and the result of what that came to be and, and of what Maggie is today, the discipleship in her life, the body of Christ, how you may lose so much in your life, but you gain so much in the church and what, what the world was in and what you lose. And I'll tell you, the Lord gives you all that back and he gives it incredibly um, and Maggie has had nothing but family in this place. She's had it all. And, uh, but talking about that, let's, let, let's get to, so we're, tell me about a little bit about Jose, how he came in the picture there. I know that he was, uh, you knew him and he was excited you were there. You were yes. excited to see him, but yeah, he was that? like, but we were just friends and we would hang up, uh, uh, like up and down together and so forth. But one day I'm like, all of a sudden it's like, we're hanging out, whatever. I'm like, man. One of my friends tells me, Maggie, he has like blue eyes. And I'm like, no, he does not. So I go to work and I'm like, oh my God, he has blue eyes. <laughs> Literally, when I saw him, I was like, oh. 
And I'm like, oh, okay, because I just never looked at him in that way, right? So then, whatever, and I'm like, oh, wow, like, he's cute, oh, jeez. <laughs> but here's the thing, the funny thing was that when I come to the Lord, I literally, hello, remember I went to a four-year relationship, then I had that poor guy, you know, and he passed away. Um, and then I did date, but not, nothing serious. I told the Lord when I first came to the Lord, I'm like, Lord, you know what? I'm not interested in dating. I'm not going to date. I'm not into that whole, oh, let's go out. Oh, what are you, who are you dating? And who are you dating? No, I left that in the past. And I said, Lord, and we didn't have, you guys are blessed. I mean, big time. Because you guys have us telling you and showing you the ropes and telling you, listen, you shouldn't do this. You should do that. Back then, I really didn't have anybody telling me, listen, you shouldn't date. It was God. And God put it in my heart. And I said, you know what, Lord, I'm not going to date. I'm not going to look for another guy. I'm not going to, if somebody asks me to go out, I'm not going to do it. I want to wait for the man of God that you have for me. And my only prayer, Lord, is that the day that you send me that husband, that he has a love and a passion for you. Like that, like the heart of David. And I used to see Jose, like, I mean, on fire for God. And I told the Lord, Lord, let him have him like that, like Jose. But not because I liked him, but it was just that, that fire that Jose had. That's what I wanted. So that was my prayer right when I come to the Lord. So fast forward now. My friend tells me, did you see he has blue eyes? And I'm like, so he had blue eyes. So I start liking the guy, and I'm like, wait a second, hold on. I'm not going to like this guy. I mean, he's my friend. You know, Joy's my friend. This is awesome. This is because we're just hanging out. That's what it is. I go to work, and I'm like, oh, geez. My heart starts pumping. <laughs> I'm like, oh, gosh, I thought I'm not going to date. I don't want a boyfriend. I want God. And that's the, my struggle. And I would like get on my knees. I'm like, Lord, please, I don't want to like this guy. I don't want to like this guy. I don't want to like this guy. Long story short, I did start liking him. And I was like, he's probably not going to like me. I'm not like his type. I know for a fact he doesn't like me. And guess what? He did like me. <laughs> I was so excited. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, I was like, oh, my gosh. He like, for real, he does like me. Long story short, we end up getting together and we get married. It was so awesome. So we get married. So cute he is. Anyway, yes, I still think he's cute. Anyway, so there's our wedding pictures. And it was awesome, man. I couldn't even believe it. Like when we got together, I couldn't even believe that God had given that to me. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, he says that he will do exceedingly abundantly and above what you can ask. And I didn't only ask for somebody that had a heart and a passion for him like Jose did. I couldn't believe that I was actually marrying him. I was like, what? No way. This guy is like on fire for God. So I was like super happy that day. And I couldn't even believe that we were getting married. Even when, I, when he was saying I do, I was like, oh my God, this is for real. <laughs> I was like in shock. And I couldn't believe the goodness of God in my life. I was so, so happy. So... Anyway, so we get married. We're still in youth group, right? Um, back in the day, you could still go to youth group because we were just in youth group. Hello. Anyway, but um, we started just being there, being supportive. You know, we were with Joaquin Yvette. We were with um, Joey. Um, Kenny was there. Jenny was there. All of us. And we end up, see, there's a, our, we start building relationships. We start getting into, you see, look how cool. Yes, we were young ones, people. We were. Okay. Um, you guys see Javi and Francis there, okay? Um, then we go ahead, we fast forward, and we open up Spring of Life where you guys are sitting, okay? In 98, the Lord goes ahead and he blesses us, and we're able to open up Spring of Life. 
And immediately, me and Jose, um, we always had passion for the youth. And Pastor Joaquin asked us to be the youth pastors. And we loved it, man. Um, my gosh, just to pour in, like, you know, you guys, I see you guys. You guys are in such, you guys are in such an awesome age for, for us to be able to tell you guys, listen, this is what we did. This is what I did. This is what's wrong. Don't go my route and do something else. And then to be able to see you guys follow that instruction and see the blessing of God over you, you guys have no idea how awesome that is. And that's us. We would take the, like, we would go like on trips the way that you guys have gone on trips. And that's what me and Jose wanted to do. That was what we wanted to do, was pour into the youth. And that's what we did. We got another picture there. And you see a lot of familiar faces there. You see Omar, there you go. He's right there, little kid. Is that Richard over there? We got Eric over here. We got Mark over there, look at him with the glasses. That's right. How cute he looks, look at him. He's over here too, right, right here? That's right. Mark. That's Mark. Yeah. That's Mark. Look at Nick down here. Right here? <laughs> That's Nick. Uh, um, we would go to the beach together. That was at the beach. Um, I was also a Sunday school teacher since the moment that we opened up our church. So what's cool is that I've gotten to see like all these guys, they've gone through Sunday school and then into youth groups. So I've been in their lives all the time and they've been in my lives. Now some of them are here with us. They came, they've invaded your youth group, I'm sorry, but they're alumni, they're allowed. Um, but what's awesome is that they heard the truth. They got to hear it. They received it. They've walked in it. And now you guys can see the blessing in their lives. They're married, they have jobs, they're successful. And that is the fruit of being in your position right now where you guys are at. That's what you get to look up at. And that's hearing the truth and believing God for all his promises. That's what you get. That's right. That's right. So tell us a little bit about life with Jose. And so it's awesome to see that. Um, man, I, I, I knew those times. I thought that, I thought that was so great. And um, we admired that a lot. I'd seen you guys here, these, these LS alumni. Um, a lot of these guys, they don't want to leave youth group. That's why they're here tonight, you know. Um, and I'm like that. I was like that too. I came from a youth group. Maggie's like that. I mean, we love youth group. And you don't want to leave. And uh, there was a time I had to go too. Um, and when I got married, I'm like, I want to go back. And uh, thank God I'm, I, was able, I was given the opportunity to be a youth pastor and do what I do today. Because I didn't never want to leave. I wanted to come right back. And we all have a heart for that. Because when you've been in a youth group and you've seen what God has done in your life, you just have a heart for young people. And, and I see, and I've seen even Richard and Eric being involved with youth. It's, that's where their heart is at. Because when God does something in your life and you really know God was in the center of it, you're like, I want to spread the, the good news around. I want to tell people about, I want to get, I want what God has done in my life as a young person. I want the, I want the Lord to do that in other young people. And, um, and, and I saw that in Jose's heart. Uh, we used to hang out together. We served together. Um, me, my brother, my, and um, Joey and Jose Red, uh, we even started a ministry together. I wasn't even part of Spring of Life. At that point, God called me. Um, I, I, when Spring of Life started, I, I stayed where the church where we were from the youth group during that time. The Lord didn't call me out. And, uh, but I still kept in contact with my brothers. It was, I still had Joey in my life. I still had Jose Red and my brother. And so we, we started a ministry, and we called it Miami for Jesus. And we were out in the streets uh, preaching the gospel and we just went from place to place and reaching the lost from place to place. And um, 
that's where I saw Jose's heart. Jose always had a heart for the lost. And, um, and it, was, it was really an honor. So, um, you know, and obviously coming back to Spring of Life, and um, these, are, these were brothers of mine. This is a sister of mine. Um, you, some, to some of you, she's Mama Mags and Dia, and, you know, she's my sister. And, uh, and so is Joey, and so is um, Jose. These are my brothers. Um, I love them like brothers. So tell us a little bit, um, so throughout those years, great years in your life, tell us, uh, I know that uh, um, Jose, you know, he, he suffered from a couple of things. So tell us about that. My husband, when I got married, um, my mother-in-law sat me down. She goes to me, you need to, t right before we got married, he goes, she goes to me, has Jose spoken to you about his health condition? And I'm like, health condition? Health condition? What health condition? Remember, my background, my mother, my grandmother, the whole thing. And I'm like, health condition. And I'm like, okay, no. She's like, ah, okay. So then one day Jose sits me down and he tells me, look, I have epilepsy. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, I have seizures. And I'm like, okay. I've never had seen a seizure. And he's like, yeah, um, I usually have them at night, but I drink medication. I'm like, okay, cool. The medication takes care of it. He's like, yep. And I'm like, all right, good. We're good. When do you got to take this medication? In the morning at night. Fantastic. Perfect. So get married, whatever. Um, probably like six or eight months into our marriage, he suffers his first seizure that I've never in my life witnessed a seizure. It was scary because he would have it in the middle of the night. Um, really scary. And it was something that would scare me more. Like he would have it. And then for like three nights, I would be like, oh my gosh, he's going to have another one. He's going to have another one. He's going to have another one. And he's ah, sleeping like a baby. And I'm like super nervous. So anyway, so I dealt with that throughout our marriage. But because he had, he drank a medication that was so, so strong. Um, one of his doctors once told us, listen, we, we need to change his medication. And I would really, I know that you want to have a family, but I would really think that you should put it off until we're able to switch his medication. Um, I'm like, okay, fine. So that's what we did. So we didn't have children. Um, we weren't able to have children because of his medication. But during that transition, during that period of time from when we got married, that we started our, that we started the church, we started youth group and we were here in youth group. I, since I didn't have children, what happened? The kids that I would teach in Sunday school, the kids that I would teach in youth group, they would always be constantly in my house. I love having my house full of people. I love it. You have no idea. That gets me super excited. So what happened? I really would pour all my love that I could into the youth group. So I would see these kids that you see here now, which are adults. I saw them as my spiritual kids. I really, truly did. So that's why Kenny was saying that sometimes I'm called Mama Mags. Yes, they call me Mama Mags. <laughs> okay, because I would like, you know, bake for them, cook for them, um, buy clothes for them. That's what I would do. And it was a blessing. And me and Jose, we never, like, you know, we always wanted children, but we had them as our spiritual children. Um, now, unfortunately, because he did have this bad epilepsy and the seizures, um, he never really got around to switching the medication. Um, he was about to switch the medication, but unfortunately, he would just have seizures constantly, and we couldn't switch him out. We switched him out to another one, and then they told us that we were going to have to wait at least a period of 24 months to have him there on that one stable and then to switch him again. Um, by this time, we're still, you know, working in the things of the Lord, and that's our main passion. Um, but something, unfortunately, the Lord had a different plan. My husband, unfortunately, on the 25th of August, 2010, 
he passed away. We were married for 15 years. And he went on to be with the Lord. Um, it was hard. <laughs> I already lost. You know what it is to lose. When you say your marriage vows, you say them. And you know what they mean. But when you say the part till death do us part, you don't really pay attention to that. And you never really prepare. So you would think since I had lost people that I love so much that it wouldn't hurt as much. But it was hard. to lose my husband. I praise God that I was in the Lord. When I heard that he had passed away, I was with Paulette. And I'm on the phone with the hospital. And she tells me, I'm sorry, Miss Rodriguez. Your husband's passed away. I couldn't believe it. I dropped to my knees, and Paulette says that all I would say was, wrap me in your arms. I will continue to serve you. Wrap me in your arms, and I will continue to serve you. That's what came out of my mouth. I was so confused. I didn't understand. Kenny got there. The first person that got there was Mark, and then Richard, Kenny, like he was saying, my brother, the body of Christ. We were married for 15 years, and he was awesome. He was a blessing to my life, to many people's lives. I can honestly tell you that God has wrapped me in his arms. The difference is that I didn't get mad. I got mad with the other times. I didn't get mad now. I accepted it. He gave me a husband and it was his gift and it's his gift to take back because it's his. And I'm still here. I think that um, that news hit hard in the body of Christ. It's, it, it's um, when the body's in trouble, any part of our body is in trouble, our physical body, and there's, a, it's, it's, it, it, there's an infection in the body, there's a cut in the, in, the, in the body. The body rushes, everything of the body, the blood, everything rushes and, and fights all that infection, fights all that hurt, all that pain. And the body of Christ is the same like that um, and I think it's so awesome to see the body in, body of Christ in action in a time like this 
It was a loss of Maggie, and it was a loss of a brother. It was a loss of a son for Pastor. It was a loss of of so of of of, of a father for these these young men and women. Um, but we had an an incredible church that was there to embrace us, was there to pray with us, that was there to to just be everything that Maggie needed in her life, and God supplied that. Um, and it's, uh, I can't imagine the loss of a spouse and Maggie can't cause she lived it. Um, and so, you know, Maggie, I, I need to ask how, what did, what were, what were those moments like? And even until today, cause I know it's a battle and, um, and maybe I can answer that, but I, Maggie's life is, is truly, um, a, um, a reality of God's grace in our life because it's a, it's a, it has to be a daily struggle. It has to be a daily thing where you have to rely daily on the grace of God because we can't handle that on our own. And um, tell us how those days were. Tell us what took place after. Um, I took it one day at a time. Um, again, I see the grace of God, what he was saying. Comparing my husband's death to what I had gone through when I was 20, totally different. Oh, my gosh. The grace of God, the love of God. I told him to wrap me in his arms, and my goodness, he wrapped me in his arms. He covered me. He covered me, and, 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 and I felt his love by the church. I felt his love. I felt, I haven't felt lonely. I, that, that like lonely feeling that I felt when my mom and my grandmother and my boyfriend died. Oh, yuck. I haven't felt that because I know I can compare and I have, I have Christ, I have the Lord. He's with me. The Bible says that he will never leave me nor forsake me. And that's what I get to hold on to all the time. The body, my family, the of Christ. Um, George and Stephanie, the Gill family, they felt led by the Lord to do a thing called Tuesdays with Maggie. What a blessing that was. And I didn't understand it. Um, I always laugh because I always say, Stephanie, you're so cute, man. Um, she tells me, Two or three days later, she's like, Maggie, we're going to have, I want to have you over every Tuesday. And the Gill family wants to like just embrace you because we know, we know what it is to lose. And we want you over every Tuesday. And I'm like, hi, Stephanie, you're so cute. I literally, I remember that day so well. And she's like, no, yes, for real. So then Tuesday came along. She's like, Maggie, you're coming over tonight, Tuesday. And it's funny because it caught on Tuesdays with Maggie. <laughs> And guys, it was awesome because I would go to her house. I would have dinner with somebody. I wasn't lonely, you know, and everybody was there. Um, Tia Mirta and Blas would come every single solitary Tuesday. You know, my family, um, everybody here from church, you know, they like would take turns going every Tuesday. And again, like Kenny says, it's a daily struggle. And I cried. I would cry just like on a whim, like out of nowhere. The wind would blow the opposite direction. <laughs> that would just like start crying, you know? It would be like that because all of a sudden I would just be like, oh, Jose's not here. So one night when I am leaving Tuesdays with Maggie, I'm getting on the express, I'm leaving, right? And all of a sudden that happened. <gasps> I just like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, he's never coming home. He's never, I'm never gonna see those blue eyes again. I'm never gonna see Jose cheer on the dolphins. I'm never going to see him preach the gospel again. I'm never going to. And it was just like that. It was like that, like a movie. And I just started crying. And all of a sudden, I'm, and I'm driving as I'm crying, like 
crying, okay? Not like a little whimper, no, crying, hysterical. Like what you do when you're by yourself, okay? That nobody can see you like that. And all of a sudden, I felt in my heart, what does your name mean? I'm like, my name, my name, my name means pearl. whoop de doo Okay, so it means pearl. And then I'm like, okay. So I, I'm staying with Paulette. And I go to Paulette's house. I go take a shower, come out. And when I'm in the room, you know, I'm like getting ready to go into the bed. I step and guess what happens? What I step on? I step on a pearl. I'm like, the heck did I just step on? And I'm looking, I'm like, where did this come from? This is like 40 minutes after he just asked me, what does your name mean? And I saw, and I found a pearl. I go, Paulette, did you lose a pearl? She's like, a pearl. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. <laughs> so God allows me to find a pearl. That's amazing. Um, I start thinking, though, as I get into bed, I'm like, wow, Lord, so you asked me what's my name mean? And it means a pearl. I have a picture up on the screen that says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking the pearls, a pearl. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So my name means pearl. And how does a pearl become a pearl? A pearl is actually a little tiny grain of sand inside of a mollusk or, of a, or an oyster. And it gets trapped in there. And as this oyster or mollusk goes from one wave to the other and it gets tossed in the sea and it goes thrown and it just gets everywhere. It goes all throughout the sea, everywhere. It's on the floor. It has no idea where it's going. As that whole tossing happens, what happens, that little grain of sand, as it's being tossed inside of it, it starts becoming round. And that is how a pearl becomes a pearl. So then I start thinking, wow, Lord, you named me. Because, yeah, my mom gave me my name, but in reality, it was God. So you named me Pearl. And to be a Pearl, how do you become a Pearl? You're tossed from one wave to another. And that's what's happened in my life. So then I start thinking, wow, Lord, this verse says that someone went and he found a Pearl and he sold all that he had just to buy that Pearl because he wanted that pearl. Lord, you loved me so much that you gave your son Amen. to die on a cross to purchase me. So that's what God did. Let's, uh, let's look at some uh, other pictures and we're, we're coming really close to closing already tonight. Um, let's put the next picture up. And um, I, I, Maggie, you can go ahead and tell them what this is about. And this is the body of Christ, but go ahead. This is the body. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Guess what? I'm strong in Christ. Why? Because I have him inside of me. And that's why you see those smiles on those faces. You know who's embraced me? Those kids that I taught, that I taught in Sunday school, that I poured my heart into in youth group. These guys those who are the ones that take care of me. Bible says to freely give what you have freely received, and that's what I do. That first picture there on to the left, that's Mark. I call him little Mark 
Why? Because he was eight years old when I first got him. And he loved me from the day that I saw him and I loved him. And he was my little Mark. I'm the only one allowed to call you little Mark. Where is he? <laughs> there he is. <laughs> okay, that's Andrea, a precious gift from God. Richard and Chavelin, oh my gosh, how I love you guys. You guys are a blessing. Um, then right below is Marcos and Michelle, Eric and Diana. These guys, they're there with me. I had to move, I had to move stuff around. They're constantly on top of me, constantly worrying about me, constantly taking care of me. So yeah, I didn't have natural kids, but man, I wouldn't trade them for the world. I have my children. Amen. Then you got, let's go back one slide. Yeah, how did Miguel sneak in there? Go back, Miguel, go back Miguel and Anaelis, I love them. <laughs> Miguel and Anaelis just came to our church about a year and a half ago, two years ago, but they immediately just fit in. And let me tell you, these guys are awesome and they're genuine. And he even said, man, I want to get adopted. And I'm like, brother, you're already adopted, honey. <laughs> I am Mama Mags. <laughs> and I love them to death. But here's what happens, guys. The, when you're genuine and you're real and you want Christ, guess what? The body embraces each other. Okay? Gary is awesome. And when I look out for Gary, I'm like, wow, Gary. And Gary, too, told me one time, he's like, I'm going to hustle my way in as one of your kids. And I'm like, brother, you're in. <laughs> you're in. But this is awesome. And I love these pictures. This is recent. But I want you guys to get something from this. My husband already passed away five years ago. And yes, granted, it's difficult and it's hard. But man, I haven't lacked anything at all. I got to spend this awesome 4th of July weekend, like two weeks ago. I got to spend it with what I call my nieces, the Carols. Um, Rosie is Yvette, my best friend's sister. Yvette's the pastor's wife. And these are my sisters, like for real. And their children call me aunt. And you want to know something? They're my, nep my nieces and my nephews. Like for real, that's what I believe. Because that's the family of Christ. Um, and this is a blessing. Look at all those people got together. And everywhere, like, they were like, everybody would look at us like when we would go somewhere. This is the family of Christ. Joey got married to Suleika, who's awesome, and they had children, and their kids call me Anne. What a blessing that is. I am, for real, when I say that I am blessed beyond measure, I am blessed beyond measure. Everything that I lost, God has multiplied. And here, a picture on the top is my house. Love having people over. I love it. That's what makes me joy like that I love it because we can be together and we have fellowship together then the bottom left is Clarita she's my spiritual mom oh my gosh what I would have done if I, I don't know what I would do without her and one of my biggest prayers is that I want to be like her that's who I want to be like she is my role model she lives by the spirit of God she's walking in the spirit of God at all times and she like me she lost her husband but after many years and she still has the joy of the Lord. Her heart right now is not doing well. Um, and doctors are even, they don't even understand how she even walks. And guys, every Monday night, she's got her house packed of people serving the Lord. That's the God that we serve. And that's how I want my life to be. I want it to be till the end. I want to be serving the Lord to the very, very end. And obviously my spiritual parents, 
I don't know what I would do without walking Yvette. I have no idea. God gave me the best parents that I needed. And at every single moment that's been critical in my life, I can pick up the phone and he says, what? Just like that. Like ready and able to just help me with whatever I need. That's the God that we serve. That is what is available to you guys. Because the same thing that I've received, you guys have access to it. You just got to open it and grab it and hold on to it. You know, Maggie grew up in a home where there was a lot of sorrow. There was a lot of mourning. There was a lot of pain in, in the house. A lot of struggling. And today, you see that picture of that how on the top. You see, it's now not a house like that. It's a house of joy. It's a house of celebration. Um, and it's, that happens because she's got a family. She's got an incredible family. Um, and... Uh, you know, uh, you know, Maggie, I know that, and we're coming to a close, and I appreciate all of you guys have heard this, because I, I could be here even two more hours hearing more about God's faithfulness in Maggie's life. I've heard it. I've heard it a lot, and uh, I've, I've, we've talked for, for Jenny and, and, and I, we, with Maggie, we've talked long hours and about everything that she's gone through, um, and more better what God has done through her life. So Maggie, I'd like for to close the night. Um, um, I'd like for you to, you know, everybody's heard your story. Everybody knows where you've been through. Everybody knows where you're at today. And I think it's very clear. But I want you to just give them some final words and, 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 and speak something into this generation. Um, I think it's important that you do that. And I know you've spoken great and the Lord's done incredibly, incredible work in this place already. But go ahead and share those words to, to them. Anything, any word of encouragement for them before we close the night? Um, definitely, you're in the best place possible. Um, don't leave this place. Um, but most of all, don't leave your walk with God. Because he's the only one that can strengthen you. He's the only one that's real. Um, I wish that I would have had the opportunity that you have. Um, you've heard my whole testimony. You saw the pictures of me smiling. And people see those pictures now. And they would never even imagine everything that I went through, right? I don't know if any of you guys look at me different. And you're like, oh, man, I had no idea, right? The Bible, there's a... There's a story in the Bible where Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they put them into, um, into the fire. They throw them into the fire to kill them. But there's a verse here that I love that says Daniel. It's in Daniel 3, and it ends with verse 27. And it says that everyone got together, and they went to go see what had happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went to go see to check it out. Okay, did they die? What happened? And it says... And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. Fire had no power on me. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. And the smell of fire was not even on them. I'm standing before you, telling you guys a story. And most of you might say, wow, I never even knew. And that's me. Not even, I don't even smell like smoke. And it's by the power of God. It's the power of God. So that day in that youth group that I said, once my life was so empty, I had no reason to live. But then I met Jesus. The Bible says that Christ is new. Christ in you is the hope of glory. 
It's the hope of glory, which means that, yes, you will have trouble. Everybody has problems. Everybody. I, ha I have problems, yes, but guess what? A lot more people have more problems, bigger and more severe than what I just shared to you. But if they get Christ inside of their lives, the same glory that you see in my life will be in their lives because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you guys have that opportunity to ask Jesus to come into your heart and to be the king of your heart, to be that, that, that father figure that you need, to be everything in your life. And the same glory is going to be bestowed upon your lives. The Bible says, and this is something that you guys need to memorize, Jeremiah 29, 11, and it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. You guys have a future and a hope that is huge if you give your life to God. He doesn't have thoughts of peace, uh, thoughts of evil towards you. He only has thoughts of peace over your lives. Now, again, I wasn't expecting to become a Christian with the love of my life and having him die after 15 years of marriage. That wasn't part of my plan. But guess what, guys? I saw the glory of God afterwards because God is the one who has sustained me. And I praise God for everything that has happened. And I praise God that I was able to go through that. And guess what? God is still God. He's still Lord. And he's still faithful. And he's still sovereign. And I can still come here. And I can still sing to him. And I can still praise him. And I have everything that I need. And I don't need. And I have no lack of anything. I have the peace of God. Only Christ in you, the hope of glory, can do that. That's it. All right, let's go ahead and let's give a big hand to Maggie, Mama Mags. Maggie is a living proof that our God is alive. And I've seen it. I've seen God move in her life in such an incredible way. You know, the word says that he will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I see that verse alive. I told you that tonight you'll see the word of God come to life. You read it. You, I read it. I, I see that God gives a peace that surpasses all understanding. I didn't understand that until I met Maggie. Because there was a peace in her life. A supernatural peace. That the world can't give it to you. You can try to do all that she tried to do, fill up your, your, your fridge with all that and party and do all that. But at the end, you're going to be empty and void. And, but until you come to the feet of Jesus like Maggie did, your life will forever change. He will forever fill you. He will satisfy you, give you purpose in your life. I'll tell you something. Maggie's gone through some crazy valleys in her life that I don't know how I would have done or I don't know if I would have been able to do it. In fact, I probably wouldn't have. I'd give up. I would have had to rely on something and I would have done what Maggie did if I had the opportunity. I would have relied on God's grace. And I say she's a miracle because she didn't know about, she really didn't know God's grace until the age of 22, 23 and 
and when and a lot of this stuff happened to her in her life. But you at a young age, you where you stand right here. I want to give the opportunity. I know it's late. I know we're hungry and we're going to go out to eat. But I tell you, God wants to do a work in your life. And I know he has. You've seen the word of God come to life here. And you know, uh, I, I just want to spend the next five minutes just thanking God and, and giving our heart to him. If there's anybody in this place, let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads. If there's anybody here that, is, that wants to give their life to Jesus like Maggie did that day. And you stand here and you're, you know what? I want to know the Jesus. I really want to know the Jesus the way Maggie talked about. If that's you and you want to give your heart to Jesus here tonight, right where you're at, just raise your hand. Don't be afraid. God bless you. Anybody else? If you want to give your heart to Jesus, don't, don't, don't be afraid. He's there with arms wide open. You can tell him, Lord, wrap me in your arms. If that's you, raise your hand. I'll tell you if your heart's beating right now and you're like, I, I, I'll tell you, that's the Holy Spirit knocking in your heart's door. Respond to him. If that's you, raise your hand. You know, I want to go ahead and open up the altar as well. If there's anybody here that's right now going through some struggle in their life, something that seems so impossible, I don't want you, God doesn't want you to leave this place with that alone. And if you've been fighting this battle on your own and you just want to give it up to Jesus, whatever it is, tonight this altar is open. You can come up here. We want to pray for you because we know a God who will help you, who will sustain you, who will wrap you in his arms. And so if that's you here tonight, no matter what the struggle may be in your life, no matter what's going on in your life, give it up to Jesus here tonight. The altar is open. As we sing this song, you can come up for prayer. God bless you.